uh, goes back to the disciples and says, the tomb is empty, he's gone. And, and two disciples, Peter and another guy, probably John, we're pretty sure it's John, take off running to the tomb. John gets there first, doesn't go in, just kind of looks in. Peter, being Peter, runs straight into the tomb. He has to get in there and see it. Everything's folded up. And then John finally goes in and it says he believed. John believed. He didn't understand it all the way. They believed. And it had to be an exciting time because Jesus began to just show up in different places. Behind locked doors, he'd just show up. And Peter got to see him, see him again. This story is one of those resurrection appearances. Would you turn to John 21? John chapter 21. John 21, starting in verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to go out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they went to the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there there were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even so, even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me, follow me. Peter still seems to be the leader of the pack, right? Because it's Peter that says, why don't we go fishing? 
And a bunch of other disciples that were there said, well, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. They climb into the boat. We're probably talking about Peter's boat that Peter owned. And they went out fishing. And now some people say this was Peter uh, going back to his old life of fishing, that, that he'd kind of given up and this is the end of the line for a disciple. I'm not sure of that. I, I, I wouldn't preach that. I'm, I'm not sure of that. It, it could be that Peter just wants to go out and, and they're killing some time and so let's do what we know to do. Let's go fishing. Jesus is showing up in different places and they haven't received their marching orders yet. I, a little bit, but the Great Commission hasn't happened. The whole go into the world and preach the God, that hasn't happened yet. So, so here they are and they're like, what do we do? Well, let's go fishing. And Peter's, let's do it. Okay, all right. So they go out all night long, no fish. And in the morning as dawn is breaking and maybe there's mist on the water, they see a lone figure on the shore. Caught any fish? No. No. Why don't you cast your nets on the right side? And, and they don't know who it is. You, you could say maybe it's Jesus' appearance. I like to think it's also because it's dawn. And so the sun's breaking. And, and mist perhaps kind of obscured him. And so they said, okay. So they throw the nets in. And they pull in this huge haul of 153 fish. And then it dawns on John. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And Simon Peter puts on his clothes really quick and jumps in the water. They're 100 yards out and he swims into the shore. And in my mind's eye, I can see, you, you ever take your kids, you know, you're swimming in the lake and they get out of the lake and you're on the seashore and they come up to you sopping wet, you know, and they just give you this big wet hug? I can see a wet hug, you know, a big wet hug. And Peter's so excited. And it's as if Jesus is saying to him, it's as if he's reminding him, see, see, Peter, you still can't have success without me. That's the first thing I'd say to you. You still need me to be successful. Right? Right? I mean, Jesus said earlier, uh, John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You've got to be connected to me. Apart from me, you can do Nothing. And sure, I know, I know, they could have caught some fish that night. That could have, it didn't happen. It could have happened. We we can do a lot of things apart from Christ. But Jesus is saying, the significant things, the kingdom things, the spiritual things, if you, if you, at the end of your life, if you want to know, if you want to look back and know that you've truly been successful, and you've accomplished things of eternal value and significance in your life, that you fulfilled your purpose in life, you can't do any of that without me. It can't happen. So you can be rich and not successful. You can raise a family and not be successful. You can do lots of things without Jesus. And be world, in a worldly way, you can be successful. But apart from Christ, you can do nothing. That, that's his words. And I think there's a reminder here, Peter, you still need me. You still got to keep me at the center. You can fish all you want, but I'm the one that's going to make you a success. So, you know what? We, we, can talk about, um, we can talk about spiritual things and serving. We can talk about secular things and working. 
let's not try to divide everything up. Let's just say whatever arena you're talking about, if you want to be a success in God's eyes, and I believe in your own eyes, you keep Jesus at the center of it. That's how you do it. Over breakfast, Jesus has fish going, some bread, and they eat. And then when breakfast is over, Jesus asks a difficult question. Simon, doesn't call him Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you you know I love you. Like, you know this. Feed my sheep. And then he asked them a second time. And I, you know, maybe they went back to their conversation after the first question. We're not told. I mean, I, I could kind of picture it where Jesus asks and then they just keep talking. And it was like, ooh, that was a little awkward. And then the second time Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Shepherd my sheep. And again, maybe they went back to talking. And then Jesus says a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's hurt. Because it's the third time. Lord, you know everything. You know. You know that I love you. Probably many of you have heard a sermon on this at some point. And you know that there's different words for love. Different words used for love. There's four Greek words, but two are used in the Bible. I want to talk about those two. There's... Agapao, which is the word we would get agape, agape love. It's in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Agapao. And agapao is a word that has often been said uh, is a very high form of love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that says, I'm committed to you, and I'll sacrifice myself for you. I'm so committed to who you are. It, it's a love of the will. I'm going to love you. There's another love, phileo. Uh, you, you might notice that's the word in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo. And it, it's a very affectionate sort of love. It's an affectionate, a fond sort of love. Can we get the first slide of the quote? The, the one right before the phileo one. If you go back to that. To love is expressed by two words, phileo and agapao, Agapao indicates a reasoning, discriminating attachment found in the conviction that the object is worthy of esteem or entitled to it on account of the benefits bestowed. God set his love on us. Now, that doesn't mean it's unemotional. It doesn't mean agape, agapao. It doesn't mean there's no emotion there. There is emotion there. But if you want to know the nuance of it, it's a little more intellectual, a little more of the will. But then there's phileo. Phileo represents a warmer, more instinctive sentiment, more closely allied to feeling and applying more passion. Thus, phileo emphasizes the affectional element of love and agapao, the intelligent element. So, having said that, phileo is a little more, um, you know, when you get married, you're standing up here, you know, maybe on the stage, you know, at the front of the church, and you confess love. And there's a lot of will in that confession of love on a wedding day, right? It's, it's not only that I love you, it's that I'm giving my life for you. My whole life. I want to be with you. Agapao. 
it's a love of the will. Phileo is, is maybe, and I'm going to be a little bit crude here, but I just want to get the point across. It's more like, I'm crazy about you. I, I just have these feelings and I can't even control them. They just, this is the way I feel about you. I, know I, I can't turn it on and off. It's just, it's just a warmth. It's a sentiment. It's, it's a feeling. It's deep in me. Now, in English, we have love. I love my dog. I love tacos. I love my wife. I love my kids. We have love. I have love. <laughs> um, and, and it's hard. Now, to be completely honest, these words for love, you ought to look at them. They, they are synonyms, okay? Sorry to take you back to English class. They are synonyms. I mean, you could substitute them, you know? And, and the, the biblical writers do substitute them. Sometimes it says God phileos us. You know, that deep, affectionate feeling. But John 3.16, he agapaos us. That, that sacrificial of the will, I love you. You can't say that doesn't have emotion in it, because it does. Agapao. It also says tax collectors agapao each other. Ooh, tax collectors would sacrifice themselves for each other? No, not really. Not really, but they're, they're, they're synonyms. They're synonyms. They're, they're flexible words. And so when you, when you try to figure out what they are, you've got to look at the context. Like, how are they used in the passage? You've you got to figure that out. Jesus two times says, Peter, do you agapao me? Do you love me? And it makes me wonder if it's kind of like one of those you know how you failed before? Your, your will kind of broke when you denied me? Do you, you agapao me. But Peter responds and he says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Now, here's another thing to note. They weren't talking Greek that day. I mean, the Bible, the New Testament's written in Greek, right? These are Greek words, phileo, agapao. Jesus, I mean, we're, we're pretty sure they were talking Aramaic, right? So John, the guy who wrote the book of John, he chose those words for a reason. And so the question is, why in the world did John choose those words? So can we put the first question up there again, Al? My microphone's sticky. So the first time he asked the question, yeah, Simon, son of John, do you agapao me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Feed my lambs. So Peter's response for love is a little different than Jesus' response. Again, Aramaic is what they're talking. They're not talking Greek, but this is written in Greek. Second question. Simon, son of John, do you agapao me? Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Tend my sheep. And then the third time. Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo me. Feed my sheep. What does this mean? I'd humbly uh, submit to you, I think what it means is Jesus is asking, do you love me? And Peter's saying, trying to go there in a deep way and say, I have these really affectionate feelings for you. I love you. It, it's a passionate love. It, it, it's deep in my soul. I can't help myself. I love you for who you are, Jesus. And then Jesus says a second time, do you agapao me? Yes, Lord, you know. And this is interesting too. The, the first two times when Peter says, you know that I love you, no. 
That's the word in Greek, oida, and what it means is uh, it's like a perception. Kind of like when the disciples looked at the shore and they saw it was Jesus, but they weren't positive, and, and they're like, no one wanted to ask, is it really you? Because somehow he looked a little different. It says they oida, that they perceived it was Jesus. Perceive is like knowing something, knowing the facts. I know the Eiffel Tower is in France. Have I ever been there? No. I know Niagara Falls is majestic and beautiful. Have I ever seen it firsthand? No. That's oida. Jesus, you know that I love you. You can perceive it. But the third time when Jesus says, Peter, do you follow me? And Peter says, Lord, you, you know everything. You know everything, he says. It's stronger. It's a different word for no. It's the word gnosko, and it's experiential knowledge. Kind of like, I've been hiking in the Porcupine Mountains, and I know it's beautiful there. I've been there. Or if you've been to Niagara Falls and you've seen it, the, I, the mist was on me, and it was, it was just glorious. I've been there. I know. And so Peter's saying, Jesus, you know me inside and out. You know that I love you. And, and there's pain there. There's hurt there. And, and there's this deep emotional expression. And I believe Jesus brings him to this place. That Jesus brings Peter to this place of acknowledging in a deep, powerful way, I love you, Jesus. And so Jesus uses the same language. Do you phileo me? And I, and I think what John's trying to say is, Jesus goes to that emotional level. Maybe even the first two times Jesus said it, maybe it was a little bit flat. Maybe. I'm trying to get inflection here. Maybe it was, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And maybe by the third time it was, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Maybe the difference in the words, the verbs, is just that agapao is one way to talk about love, and phileo is that deep emotion love. And Jesus wants to just take Peter there. Do you, do you really love me? Yes, I do. I, you know, Gnosko, you know I do. You see into my heart. You know everything. You know it. What does this mean for us then? Um, for some of us, our failures stand out to us they're just right in front of us and we remember them. Some of us live in the reality of our failures and what they've done to our life. Some of us have failures that no one else knows about but God, but we know it. And they still stand out and Satan keeps reminding us of them. You did that. You did that. How could you do that? You're in church on a Sunday morning and you did that? Even if it was years ago or even if it was last week, you did that? You shouldn't even be here on Sunday. They should close the doors when they see you coming. See, how does our failure intersect with Jesus' love? How does that work? How does our failure intersect with love? Jesus' love for us, our love for Jesus. How do those two things meet? Let's talk about that a couple minutes. In the first question, in the first question, Jesus says, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the question is, well, who's the these? 
the more than these. Some people say it's the fish. Peter, do you love me more than fishing? Then you better start feeding my lambs and stop fishing. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I've heard sermons like that. Maybe, I kind of think because Jesus is dealing with Peter's denial. Remember his denial? I don't know the man. Three times he denied Christ. Then Jesus looked at him. And then the, the sorrow of that. I think this is all connected to Peter's denial. And remember the night Jesus was betrayed by Judas? And Jesus says, all of you are going to fall away from me. And Peter says, not me, never, Lord. I won't do it. It's not going to happen. We talked about this Good Friday. Self-confidence, I will never fall away. I'll never run away. In fact, I'm ready to die for you. Until a little girl asks me if I'm one of the disciples. They're at a fire. There was a fire on the night Peter denied Jesus. They're at a fire that morning. I think this is the comment to Peter. I think the do you love me more than these is, do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you? Is your love better than theirs? Peter, do you still think you love me more than they do? No. Let's not go there. Let your love be true and let it be humble. Let it be humble. Peter thought at the Last Supper, Peter thought his love was so strong that he would never fall away. The rest of these 11, yeah, I could see them running away, but not me, not me. I love you way too much for that. Humility says, Jesus, I love you. And I don't know what's going to happen. I pray for faithfulness if I'm tried in this way. Help me not deny you. But Peter's like, never, never, self-confidence. Let your love be true and let it be humble. Uh, do you ever play the game where you, you look around and you see different people and you start comparing your love for Jesus to their love for Jesus? Like, oh, they're in church every Sunday, but I see how they act during the week. I'm much better than that. They act a good act over here. Or maybe you do it the opposite way and you say, I know a lot of really spiritual people. And they are so much closer to God and I'm so distant, I'm so far away, my love will never amount to anything. And you just come down hard on yourself. It happens to me like this. This has happened so many times, I don't even like to say it, you know, but um, I'll, be, I'll be eating a dinner with people, Christians. And invariably, one of those Christians will get, stand up at the end of the meal and start clearing off the table. And they'll take my plate. And I can't tell you how many times, this, I mean, dozens of times this has happened to me. I'm never, ever the first one to stand up and start clearing the table. It's never happened. Ever. And every time it happens, I think to myself, somebody really loves Jesus because they're serving me right now. And why is it this is happening again? Why can't I be the first one to stand up? I'm just talking. And I'm listening, you know. Why am I just like in the zone? I don't want to deal with those dishes. Ooh, that's a bad confession right there. I don't want to deal with those dishes. No man wants to amen me there. But you thought about it. <laughs> this Easter, let it be different in your household. <laughs> right? Right? Okay. Um, right? So, 
let's not do that comparison game. Let's not do that. Because I don't know if that person's more spiritual than me or I'm more spiritual. I just worry about my love. How about that? How about I worry about how I love Jesus and how I love other people? How about I just worry about that? And don't do, you know, sometimes we do this. I know my sins really well and I don't know your sins very well. So when I look at my sin and I don't know your sin, I feel like I'm the failure and you're not. I don't know what you did. When you pin the sins, attach the sins to the cross, I never read them. I'd probably feel really good if I did, you know. Um, I never read them. I'm worried about me. So worry about you. Here's the thing. Even if, even if it's true that you've sinned over here worse than someone over here, even if, even if your sin is worse, let's say you've done something that nobody else in the room has or a couple other people have, and you feel the weight of that, and you feel like my love is so weak. Here's my word for you. Those that are forgiven much love much. So in reality, if you look at your sin and you say, oh, it's worse than other people that I know, that's an opportunity to love better than anyone else you know, even though you shouldn't compare. But Jesus says there's opportunity. When when you're forgiven so much, you're going to love well too. So you can't look at your life and get down on yourself and say, oh, my love will never amount to anything because Jesus has not forgiven that huge thing you did and now you can love me in a huge way too. Worry about you. Peter, do you really love me more than everybody else? (sighs) Okay, the next thing we'll talk about uh, is... uh, You notice that every time Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, tend my sheep, care for my lambs, shepherd. Each time, Jesus doesn't linger on the love thing. He goes directly to take care of sheep. Take care of sheep. And it's as if he's saying this. Peter, if you love me, you're going to love my family. If you love me, then love my family. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbors, yourself. They're connected. Peter, if you have this affection for me, then have affection for my people. I never really liked pets growing up. I know that's a horrible thing to say. But I had a couple cats. They were outside cats. They didn't get to come inside. Unless it was freezing in the winter and we thought they were going to die, we'd bring them in for that. My mom didn't like animals in the house. My dad probably didn't either. I don't remember a lot about my cats. I guess I didn't care a lot. But I do remember when one of them got hit by a car and how stiff it was. That's morbid, isn't it? Oh, I do remember that and thinking, oh, I hope my sister doesn't see because the cat's in the bag and it's legs. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Now, I so you're like, that's not good. That's bad. I married a woman whose family loves pets. They had fish. They had birds. They had dogs. They had chipmunks. And when I was dating Christy, they had ducks. Did I, did I get them all? Is that all of them? Bunnies. bunnies. There's bunnies. 
And they lived in the city, East Peoria, the city. And they had ducks. One day the ducks flew away, didn't they? They just took off and never returned. I remember that. They just, they just left. It's okay. Wilbur, is that the name? <laughs> Wilbur! <laughs> He's gone. He's gone. There are people that are just animal lovers. You know who you are. Like you, just, you, don't, you don't want to just see them at the zoo. You want them in your house. You don't just want them outside. You want them in your living room. Some of you want them in your bed. And I'm sorry, but I, don't, I can't go there. You know, like I've, I've gone a lot of places, but I can't go there. That, that dog is not in my bed. Um, but I know some of you do that. I have, can I say it? I have grown a little bit affectionate towards my dogs. If they were to die, I think, I think I'd be sad. <laughs> Would I hold a funeral service? No. No. Well, for the children I might. For the children I might. I might. <laughs> Do you know that I've started to love what my wife loves? You know? I've started to love what she loves because I love her. If you love Jesus you begin to love what Jesus loves. That just has to happen. Some of you have been burned by the church. I, I, I'm knowledgeable enough to know that Easter Sunday is always full because people from other churches come here. And maybe you don't have a church and you're here. And maybe you've been hurt by the church and burned by the church. And that's why you can only get yourself in the doors Christmas and Easter. We call you Christers. Sorry. Um, but no judgment. Um... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's dead cats and creasters and I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. But listen to me. Listen to me. Because I, re- I really mean this. I really mean this. If you've been hurt by the church and that's why you're not in a church, maybe you can't go back to the church that hurt you. Maybe that's not a good fit for you anymore. But don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the church. If you love Jesus, you need to love the things that he loves. And that includes the people of God, those sheep that sometimes bite. And so you may need to go back to that church, that that one that hurt you. Or you may need to find a new one. But I tell you, don't give up on the people of God. Don't do it. You need to love the people that Jesus loves. Because really a close attached to Peter, do you love me, is feed my sheep. And any mature believer, even the immature believers, we have a responsibility to build each other up. And the mature believers definitely have a responsibility to feed other believers. We call that discipleship. All right. Wow, I said way too much there. That was, I don't know. Um, How about this? Three times Jesus asks the question, Peter, do you love me? And clearly, that's a re- it seems very clear that's a reference to Peter's denial. The other thing I'd say about the mission, do you love me, Peter? Yes. Feed my sheep. Your failure doesn't end your usefulness to God. Peter, your failure, your denial of me three times 
doesn't negate the fact that you're going to be a leader, a main leader of the early church. That's Peter, who preaches at Pentecost and leads 3,000 people to Christ. Peter, you're a pillar in the church. Everybody's going to know you. We're going to name our kids after you. You know, you're Peter, you're the rock. I'm turning you into the rock. And your failure is not going to stop that from happening. I want to be careful how I talk about this. But I do want to talk about it. In some ways, I I, I want to just say this in in a careful way. If you look at great people in the Bible, apart from Jesus, they often have failure. So much failure, you almost feel like it's almost a prerequisite for great things for God. Don't you? Like Moses, you killed somebody. You killed somebody. Moses, you think you don't talk good enough. David, you committed adultery and had the guy killed, the husband killed. Paul, you used to be Saul and you hunted Christians down and killed them for God. That's messed up. Peter, you denied that you knew Jesus three times. That's serious. And yet I'm going to use you in that failure to bring glory to me your usefulness isn't over. It's not over. I remember, um, I've talked sometimes about my failures. I don't think I've shared this one yet, though. <laughs> i got enough, right? <laughs> I save them up, you know. Um, first year at Moody, inner city impact. It was an inner city mission. And I was a freshman. And we had a great leader there. And, 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 and you had kids coming in from the neighborhoods and they were playing basketball. I didn't play basketball well. I couldn't, I couldn't hang with these guys. I mean, these guys, some of them could dunk, for goodness sake. I didn't have a chance. So I was usually out in the other area playing foosball. I could win at that, you know, just turn the hands, you know. I could do that. Um, but I remember Louie, the, the director of it, he said, I would like each of you to take a turn giving a Bible message at the end of the night. I was in this ministry for a year, and I was supposed to pick at least one night that I would teach. I didn't pick a night. I didn't do it. I never stepped up. And I remember at the end of that ministry, the end of that first year, I thought, I don't know that I ever want to get up in front of people and talk. Now, we laugh about that now because I do it every Sunday. But that time, I thought, I don't know if I ever want to do this. And I felt like such a failure because I was told what I needed to do to grow and to stretch myself, and I wouldn't do it. And some of you have those stories where you know you should have said something and you didn't. Some of you, like you knew you, you didn't want to do this sin, but it was so tempting and that you just did it. Your failure does not end your usefulness to God. Even the person that's caught committing a crime and goes to prison they can be useful to God in prison. So see how I'm talking about that? I'm being very careful how I talk about this because when you fail, there's sometimes real consequences, you know? Like we, we do background checks on our kids' workers. There's some things that if you've done these things, you will never work with kids. It's just not going to happen. It's not safe. That there are real consequences to failure, but your failure doesn't end your usefulness to God. There are pastors that are out of ministry now because of moral failure Their usefulness is not at an end, even though they may never be in the pulpit again, right? We recognize there's consequences, 
And we recognize that even in those consequences, God is saying, I want to use you. Finally, I think Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, would you let me heal your broken heart? I think that's the agapao phileo thing coming back. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know. Oida, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. And it's painful and it's hard. It's like exposing the wound and touching it so that you can heal it and, and, and pour peroxide on it or something. It hurts, but you've got to do it. You've got to look at it. Peter, let me heal your broken heart. I'm the master healer. You've seen me heal so many people throughout my ministry. Now I want to heal you. I believe that's... If you ask me, why does it go agapao, phileo, why are there the different words? Yes, I know John might just be using synonyms and he might just be giving us variety as we read the Greek text. I kind of think he chose them on purpose to get at that emotional point in Peter's life. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, let's go there, let's bring the emotions out and let me in and let me heal you. And you know and I know that often it's in those emotional moments where we experience the healing. And when we close ourselves off from emotion, sometimes we put a wall up and we're not letting God get into there. Is it good to cry about your sin? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And then you claim victory and forgiveness and joy, right? That's coming too, but is it good to have a godly sorrow over sin? Oh, yes. Let God heal your broken heart. Ask forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. Know that your failure won't stop you from being useful to the Lord. And in fact, in some cases, it's a prerequisite for being useful to the Lord. In some cases. And finally, Jesus says to Peter, Follow me. Follow me. At the end of the day, for all of us, it's really quite simple. Jesus says to you and me, follow. Just follow. Just do what I do. Say the things, kind of things that I say. Be my disciple in the world. Just, just follow. And, and then Jesus says to Peter, this is how you're going to glorify me. When you were young, you got yourself dressed. You went where you wanted to go. But when you get old, Jesus says, People are going to dress you the way they want and they're going to, you're going to be stretched out referring to crucifixion, which is the way historically it tells us that Peter was going to die being stretched out on a cross. In fact, it says that Peter requested it to be upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die like Christ. But I'm not concerned about that part. I'm concerned about that Jesus said, Peter, you're going to die for me. You denied me three times. Now let me come in and heal your heart. But understand that as I heal you, you're going to have this amazing moment later in your life where you're going to die for me. You told me you were willing to die in the garden. And die you will. And it will exalt me when people hear about it in the manner in which you've died. Follow me. Peter says, what about John? 
disappoints their disciple. What's going to happen to him? And Peter says, don't worry what's going to happen to him. Again, don't worry. Don't compare. Jesus says, just follow me. Just follow me. And that's his word to you this morning. Follow him in resurrected life. Would you bow your heads now and close your eyes and worship team, you can come up and get ready. If you're here this morning, we've talked about the death of Christ for your sins. We've talked about the resurrection. If you're here and you've never received that forgiveness for your sins and you want for the first time to give your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. And if that's you, would you put your hand up if that's you and you want to receive this this morning? I just want to give you the opportunity if you're here. All right. I see no one. If you've not trusted him, I'd urge you to consider it. Consider it. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray for those that are considering right now what they've heard. Would you move them to the point of responding in a saving faith that, Jesus, you died for them and then you rose from the dead? Amen.